This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Gary, Gary, Gary. <laughs> yes, Andrea. Guess what? What's that? It's episode number 25. I can't believe it. Unbelievable. And we're actually going to talk about one question. How do you stay close to culture? But we're only going to do it for an hour with six guests. And we've got a pretty hot one to kick things off. So let's not waste any time. Hashtag marketing for the now. Let's go. First up, we welcome Liam Payne, recording artist and former member of One Direction. How are we doing, guys? Good to see you. Thank you for having me. Liam, how are you, my friend? I am really good. I was just saying to everyone, I feel like over here in the UK, we are terrible at dealing with heat and it's very hot over here at the moment, but I'm doing great. (laughs) So Liam, you know, I think um, obviously there are very few people that have touched the actual sun of pop culture, literally in the history of the last hundred years, given just the sheer popularity globally of the band. So at a very young age, you were at the precipice of it. Um, you know, you and I become friendly this year because of your incredible NFT project. And once again, you find yourself very close to culture from a creative lens, being a fast mover and learner and student and creator in that space. What do you think it is about your, your life's journey, your personality trait, the serendipity? Like, you know, why has that happened? And then more importantly, outside of the things you're actively doing, how are you staying on top of what's cool? Because really that's what the slang to culture means right here from uh, just genuinely knowing whether it's as simple as which restaurants to go to in London or or New York or LA, who the popular artists are, which social media people matter, what platforms matter, what clothes matter. Like how, how how do you go about that? Um, I mean, I think I've been fairly lucky as time's gone on to learn about this as, as my career's kind of progressed. And I don't think I really understood it very much at a young age. But when I look back on things, I mean, I think everything these days is really technology led. And when, when I got the question for 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 this, I, I was really thinking deeply into the idea behind AI and algorithms. Right. I mean, I feel like TikTok, I, I had a, a, a chance to talk to the CMO of TikTok and and there was a shortage of feta cheese at one point in the world from how much TikTok was pushing feta cheese, which seems crazy to me. But I think there's there's a real thing for me on, on staying on top of things at the moment, the way I, I program these algorithms and AIs for myself. I mean, it's very easy, you know, to get lost in cuddly cat videos and funny stuff on TikTok. But I think if you really go about your searches to find the things that you're very interested in, um, it can really take you on a journey to, to experiencing and finding these these new things and what's hot right now uh, more than you realize. Who in your life has been great at this? Like a buddy, like a mate, a manager, a former relation? Like who, when I say to you, like who really is in the know? Uh, say, I mean, you've met Steve multiple times. I'd yes, say Steve yes. has always been the one for me. And I think there is a there is a strong thing. I mean, my friend Ed, Edward, who who is the editor for Vogue, is the same. Keeping around young people who really sponge this up, um, I think it, it is a really really strong move. Um, you know, I I think it was through Twitter, places like Twitter, Instagram. It's the young who are really leading the forefront on these things of what's what's cool and what's now. Um, and, and for us, you know, working through our businesses. I mean. The main one for me, and I already spoke to you this about this before I came on, has been mental health at the moment has been pushed so far to the forefront. And I think in terms of investment and in terms of uh, uh, of lifestyle and the way we think about ourselves, mental health has really, really become a big one for me. What about um, what about the concept of which categories do you feel like you have an incredible pulse of what's happening in its culture? And which categories, if I said to you over the next 10 years, you'll get better at knowing fine dining or or sneaker culture. Like, where do you feel at this moment in your career? Where do you feel very solid? And where are some categories that you wish you could get better at? Improving. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, I think cryptocurrency is a really big one for me that I want to get more in the know about. Um, I'm only just starting to learn from a lot of friends and, and different things about how this is. I've been very unfortunate the times I've ever invested in cryptocurrency. It's not at the bottom of the dip. So I'm always catching back up to what I have. I mean, I was in 2017 um, when, when I invested um, and I only recently got to know someone who was responsible for the dip after I invested, who's now <laughs> a friend of mine, which is terrible. Um, 
so I think that's definitely one for me. Um, and I think that there's a really tricky water on this one in terms of TikTok and people giving financial advice. You know, I think that given the world and the way COVID is right now, you know, we're all really searching for things like that uh, at home and wa ways we can make money and look after ourselves and be, you know, self-sustainable in that way. So I think it's a tricky one with TikTok on that. I mean, it, for me, myself, I've been very blessed with the, the the friends and people I've met along the way in terms of fashion, um, which has always been a really uh, good and fun one for me. I mean, some people online will probably disagree with this, but <laughs> anyhow, that's the world, isn't it? That's how it works. What, who who has stood out for you that's really shaped your fashion, um, you know, sense or knowledge? Um, I mean, my friend, my friend uh, Edward, uh, who has been is the editor of Vogue. He's the editor of. Uh, most of Europe's folks, I think, now as well. Um, and I mean, his career is only going up and up. There was a real moment for me when, you know, when you meet someone you don't really know very much about them. I didn't know a lot about Edward because I'd met him through through Steve actually. And we we stood in an art gallery looking at all of the covers of Vogue that he's done so far in a lineup, and it was like, wow, this guy is actually right on the pulse of this. He knows exactly what he's doing. The meaning, people... meaning, meaning, it was one of those classic things where like this person's on the cover of August, and then six months later they're really crushing and have crossed the chasm. Oh, yeah. And I mean, he just picks the best people. He picks the best the best fashion, the best layout, and also the things that the magazine talks about as well. So, I mean, I really look to him for a lot of advice, and, you know, I hope he feels the same about me in some way. Before we get out of here, because these go quick, we got two minutes. Mm -hmm. what, what, what kind of content do you feel is what really gets you to understand? Are you a reader? Is it podcasts? Is it social media content? Is it sitting down and having a proper pub, you know, beer or, or, or coffee? Uh, you know, what, when you're absorbing your information, what do you think from like a learner standpoint? Because I think one of the reasons people struggle with culture mm. is they don't understand how they learn. Yeah. They yeah, try to read it and reading is it like, if I just read long form, I would be nowhere because it doesn't absorb, but quick, you know, somebody made a comment that my eyes are on the comments while I'm interviewing. It's true. I'm taking in feedback that way. Audio, you know, if I have a conversation, I grasp it. But yeah, but I, you. I think for me, I, I'm the same. I can't, I'd love to be a reader. I'd love to be able to sit and read. And it's definitely a skill that I, I want to hone in on. I mean, you know, given our attention spans these days, I think I'm definitely one of those people who needs to take in short, sharp bursts. But I'd say for me, more in the learning and the more I invest and the more people I meet, in particular, with this, this latest shareholder I've done in, in a Thai life sciences, I've had to learn about biotech. And biotech is not in any means a pop star's realm of, 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 I have no right being in this space, but it's amazing to learn about the severeness of, of the mental health uh, crisis that we have right now in the world. There's one billion people and there's no silver bullet for any of this. Yeah. So learning these medications work. and learning how we're, we're gonna apply them with you know, supervision. It's not the same as a, as, a, as a cannabis thing. You can go and buy it over the counter. These things are, are sold in terms of a supervised uh, uh, thing that you go through to really, you know, get the best out of them in that way. And that was hard for me to learn. But my friend said to me, he was like, you never seem to argue a point when we discuss these things. I was like, I have no education. It's how am I going to argue? I have to take it in. As a, as a huge yapper, people are stunned when I'm quiet for 40 minutes at a dinner. I'm like, we're talking about health insurance. I don't know anything. Exactly. I have to, I can yeah. only take in. I'm uneducated and I do not want to make a point right now. So that's, that's my thing is it's all about who you surround yourself with. And also to going with your instincts, going with your instincts is a big one. We need to run. Liam, thank you so much. Have a Good wonderful man. day. Cheers, mate. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Uh, Andrew, before you introduce everybody else, I just put a link into the V friends discord. If you just came over from that, please leave a comment. Uh, uh, if you are from the V Friends Discord and share the URL to Discord, let's get some more friends in there. Go ahead, Andrea. Next up, we're we're lucky to welcome Morgan Flatley. She's the Chief Marketing and Digital Customer Experience Officer at McDonald's. In her four years there, Morgan has built the capabilities to put digital data and insights at the heart of all things marketing at McDonald's, accelerating the power of social media and breakthrough creative. Welcome, Morgan. Thank you. Hey, Gary, it's great to be here with you finally. It's good to see you. It's great to see you. Yes, finally, for everybody uh, wondering what Morgan's referencing, we've been chasing her on this show. She's one of the great marketers in, uh, in our world. And uh, every subject we cover is something I feel that she can bring tons of value to. Uh, but this one's especially exciting for me because I think that you've been at the forefront uh, as a leader 
I really feel my personal opinion, one man's point of view, I think the brand at McDonald's, it feels more culturally relevant today than it has in a long time. And I'm sure there's other key executives that allow that to happen, but this is your remit. So I give plenty of credit on this. And so I guess very quickly before we even, you know, maybe we break this down. I think this would be fun for people to hear. How do you, Morgan, the yeah. human, the human, stay close to culture? And then how do you, Morgan, this very senior executive at the forefront of one of the biggest brands in the world, stay close to culture? And, and are there any differences? And I'd love for you to pontificate a little bit on that. Yeah. So first, I was holding out until your 25th. Um, <laughs> you going, that well, number? I'm back at your 50th and uh, hopefully I'll be here. <laughs> Um, so, you know, it's funny, it's hard for me to separate out the two. First, I'll say, um, more, as Morgan, the executive, I find this really hard to do. And um, because sense. of just all the demands, you know, on my time, on all of our times, and like the need to operate at so many different levels across the organization, that it's really hard to find time and space to stay connected to culture. And, and even just listening to you and Liam, like it was such a good trigger that I've got to do a better job. The 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 best way I do this is is I actually surround myself with people who are really really good at it. And you know, I and it's funny Liam touched on this. Like I find it's often it's often younger people who like are just absorbing from so many different places. Um, they probably have, you know, a little bit more of the attention span to be able to do that than I do. Um, it's their every day, Morgan. I just want to, I'm sorry to jump in. Totally. Help a lot of people understand what you're saying. You have so many things eating up that 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 hour day. Yep. Big girl stuff, right? Big, big, big decisions, forward planning, like heavy meetings. When you've got somebody who's 26, by nature, they aren't going to have as big of a load and they're up late, like they're just in a different part yeah. of their life and it's their every day, right? The music, the fashion, the TikTok stream, that's just part of their every day. It's not work, it's their oxygen. Just like for you, you're ox back to your point of it's difficult and, I, and it's been the biggest stunner to me coming into corporate America. I'm like, wow, CMOs are in a tough spot. Because it's crazy. One, one of the things that makes me unique, I think, is I fight for a stunning amount of hours per day in the dirt. And yeah. I think that's what helped me. Now I pay a consequence for that because my big boy stuff is always a little slower because yep. two hours went to be in a Discord or watch TikTok or be in the trenches in a studio in Atlanta. So I, it's a real tough game. It's true. And I think it's like great advice for CMOs, for executives to like protect that time when you can get in the dirt. Like I love that phrase. And for me, it's like sitting around with the team and it's often my junior team. Forgive me, that's my husband trying to FaceTime me. He's <laughs> right now. trying to interrupt the good stuff, right? <laughs> Talk about being in the dirt, man. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I love sitting around with, with like the more junior people in the organization or our creative teams. Like I get a ton of inspiration from our creative teams and using that to like inspire me. And then I'll go follow some of what they've talked about. So I think it's it's about like being curious and really, really taking the time to like listen and debate it. That's how I learn is like through other people and that discussion and that discord that like helps me start to at least point myself in the right directions to get kind of connected to culture. How help all the SMBs mid-level companies, entrepreneurs, and youngsters understand the following friction that I'm dying to hear your answer to. This is very selfish, but it's gonna bring a ton of value. How hard is it for you when you know something's cool, but it's just edgy enough mm -hmm. that you're scared to do it for something as big and corporate yeah. And and like for the masses as McDonald's, like where does an executive like yourself have to draw the line where you're like, how hard is that decision on the thing you green light or you kill? Because anything that cool by nature has teeth in it. Totally. That corporate, right? And you've done some great collabs, <laughs> right? With Valve and others, you know, like, like there's that decision making curve. How much of that 
at the when you get to the highest levels of marketing and the biggest companies in the world, how much of that is like you're like the things that you really stress through when you're brushing your teeth and God darn it, should we go? Should Because you know it's hot, but is yeah. it too hot where you might get burned? And then the problem is, and you know this, the problem is then so many corporations go with things that are not hot and nobody gives a shit. Exactly. And like people can sniff that out in a second. I mean, I, my last year here and I was just in a meeting, which I'll, when in a, in a week or two, I'll play back to you where the conversations that I needed to have with our executive team, like, I can't believe some of the things I've had to talk through. Um, I just, so, so a few things, I think my job is to push the risk and if, and that's why, and I loved where you started, McDonald's is starting to feel culturally relevant again because we're pushing the risk. Yeah. And what I tend to do, and I've talked about this before, I have a couple people who are like on the pulse of culture and I talk to them. I talk to them offline. I can, I literally called one of them two days ago who shall remain nameless. And I was like, help me think through how much risk we're taking on. Help mm-hmm. me think through what's the good, what's the bad, what's the ugly. And and then I feel like we just have to go for it. I mean, I need to watch the brand. If the brand is going to get permanently damaged, that's my job to make sure we don't do permanent damage to the brand. I apologize to jump in because I think you can answer this. And I, I live in a world where if you look at the last 5, 15, 12, 10 years, there have been some gnarly things that have happened, right? Yeah. Where brands have sponsored some celebrities that have crashed and burned massively. Yeah. There have been, there have been. I mean, over the last six years, the country in general is more politicized, and there's tension, right? Yeah. What What I've been fascinated by is big ex- company executives think a lot about permanent damage, and I'm watching behavior, and I'm looking at numbers, and I think what's fascinating is it's almost impossible for permanent damage because of the way the consumer's working these days. It's- you know. It's so true. Keep going. I think brands are so much more resilient than we, and I I think consumers are resilient. And when you sit around a boardroom, you forget that. Like literally you forget it. And I said yesterday, there might be like a negative article, but it'll all be gone the next day. Like the way people are experiencing culture and brands, like they move on quickly. And I think it takes really, really, really significant missteps for it to be permanently damaging. I, I just think brands are resilient and consumers are also resilient. I think that's an incredible way to wrap up. It goes so fast. I think for the big CMOs in here, understanding how resilient brands are may actually allow you to win in culture. It's so true. And you have to take those risks. You have to. Have a great rest Thank of your you. summer. Yeah. Bye, Gary. Love that. Next up, we've got Bracken Darrell, president and CEO of Logitech taking on the role nine years ago. And since then, Logitech has reinvented itself into an award-winning design company, an industry force in pursuing a more sustainable and equal world, and a top performer in the stock market. Welcome, Brecken. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, Gary. How you doing? Hey, brother. I'm doing well, brother. How are you? I'm great. Before I go anywhere, one of my favorite CEOs, truly, and I say that, I want to do it publicly, mainly because of curiosity and humility. And, I'm, and, and, and that's the truth, Bracken. I, I, I recently, a week ago, somebody asked me about you because uh, they saw we're connected on LinkedIn. I'm like, oh, I actually really know him because you know, obviously sometimes you're connected with people you have no idea who they are. I'm like, and, and I, it just flowed. I'm like, you know, it's rare to see real leaders who've had real success consistently for a decade have that level of curiosity and humility. And I guess leading the witness, because I'm excited to have you here, do, A, do you, Humbly, do you agree with that you have a piece of that? Do you think that's trickled to the org? And most of all, has that been the reason that you've been pretty successful in getting close to culture, whether it's esports or other things, sustainability? Like, thoughts on my rant? Yeah, you know, well, I guess, you know, it, it will focus on the curiosity part. You know, I think, um, yeah, I, got, I thought about what is curiosity? You know, curiosity is not just wondering about things. It's actually wondering about things and then going to seek and find out about them. And I think if you are curious, you're going to naturally be closer to the things that are happening today. And uh, and then if you're curious and you're and you're active about it, so you're you know then then you're probably going to end up talking to a lot wider range of people. And I would say uh, 
if I'm if I'm close to culture at all, and I'm not sure that I belong on this show, but if I am close to culture in places that matter, it's because of the people around me, and because I am super curious. Do you think you're close to culture? Do you think the organization is? I think you know what I think I'm lucky, and this isn't humility, Gary. I think I'm lucky. I'm I'm I've got certain values that I really believe in. You know, and they keep, and I keep adding to them over time. You know, they don't really change; they just get more more dramatic. And then I add other ones. And I think things like, uh, you know, sustainability, uh, DE and I, uh, design, there are things I believe in so much. And if you kind of took those and and you made a Venn diagram out of two of them or three of them, you know, you'd end up on on some edge of culture that's super exciting. You know, and, mm-hmm. and so if I'm close to culture, it's probably more about kind of just basically who I am and less about me kind of staying close to it. Is that the luck of good parenting? Well, like I don't, when I, when, you know, I feel very similar. And when yeah. I use the term lucky, I'm like circumstance of childhood, greatest mother of all time, built up yeah. self-esteem while held me accountable. So a no bullshit self-esteem woman, I'm the greatest. I do something fucked up, you know, that kind of, you know, so I, I was in the middle and then immigrant with nothing. So I, I wasn't entitled, had a fight for everything I fucking had. Do you think yeah. you being, you, you just answering this question, when you say lucky, and I understand that, do you think that's the luck of good parenting and, and childhood circumstance? Yeah, I, so, for sure. I mean, we're all we're all lucky if we have a mom who just, uh, you know, adores us. And, I, and, and me and my siblings did. I mean, we just had an incredible mom and and she left us feeling comfortable that no matter what we did, even if it, even if we screwed something up, it's okay because we can recover and be great, you know, do great things. And, and I think that's part of this active curiosity. You know, I was listening to your last uh, discussion. And I, was, I thought it was really fascinating. This idea of risk. You know, yeah. I think the biggest risk is not being aggressive and and you know not playing offense all the time. You know, there's obviously you've got to make sure you're not watch, walking on the ledge with no with nowhere to land but the ground. But, but I, I mean, really, it's it's there, there's no such thing about risk the way people think about it most of the time. Most people think about risk too much and not enough about playing offense. I I totally agree. Do you think that's the you know, me and Morgan could be correct. You you and I could be correct. You think that's just just a game of people realizing that they work in a corporation and that the corporation and the logo will cut bait with the executive if the PR storm happens and then people have families. I mean, you got, you guys have family, you know, for me, entrepreneurship's fun. I have no board. I'm not publicly held. Like nobody's firing me, Brad. Nobody's firing me. So I'm crazy risk offense because (laughs) when I lose, I look in the mirror back there in the hotel room, but I would look back in that mirror and be like, you're an idiot. And then I move on with my day. I have a lot of empathy for my corporate friends they might be right with the risk, one bad luck thing that happens and they're fired and then that's not fun. And so I think a lot of the reasons big companies aren't risk adverse is because the human is protecting their family. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, you know, the I think part of this is I loved her description of the CMOs. One of the CMOs jobs is to push the push the risk, push things that seem risky to other people. And I think that's the CEO's job as well. I mean, it's, I agree. it's oh, I, the, 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 the most. Because because I've got a board whose job is to control the risk. Correct. They're, they're, they're going to govern the risk, so I have to be the one that says. I, I would ar- I would risk. argue. I'm sorry to jump in, but I got to sure. say it. I would argue watching from afar. This is why I think you're the fact that you know that, which I think is incredibly rare in CEO life. I think CEOs think they are, and I think it's to your point. It's the board, and I genuinely believe that the recontemporary nature, the the what Logitech has done and being so much more contemporary today than it was when you got there, and especially over the last four to five years, because I'm sure you had to clean up stuff or, or I'm making assumptions here, but has to do with the fact that you actually know that you're you're on offense, and I believe eight out of 10 Fortune 500 CEOs, and I know a lot of them, they think they're defense. Yeah, well, you know what, it's, it's, it's hard for me to speak to anybody but my situation, but I feel very lucky, you know, and if you think we've been pushing it so far, wait till you see what's coming. You know, we're we're always trying to accelerate into the future, you know, and I think that's the way you know, I, I it's just my, sort of my philosophy of life is man, you just gotta keep if if you're not going if you're not if you're not going forward, you're going backwards. If you're not, you know, it, it's it's all about playing offense all the time. So I'm I'm I think it builds on itself too. And you know, if you can get through those early days as you're in your in your new role where you take a little risk and you push a little hard and nothing too bad happens, who, it's who, awesome. who in your world 
gives you information of what's cool to the target audience or just in the world. Family, friends, executives, something left field outside. Who, who do you, when I ask you that question, what names or energies come to mind? Well, you know, I'll just list a few people. Corinne Bate uh, created Blue Level Training. She's in the DEI space. I've learned so much from her. Uh, Prakash Arankundram, who's my head of operations, he's the he's the an absolute expert on environmental sustainability, as well as Robert Omahani. Um, in design, my head of design, Alistair Curtis, and then the Royal College of Art. You know, there I've got I'm surrounded by people and Meredith Rojas a relatively new person for our company. She's been there about a year. She's in the middle. She wrote a book called Selfie Made. She's in the middle of 14, 15-year-old influencers on TikTok. You know, she knows that place. They love her. I mean, she looks 14 or 15. <laughs> it's 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 amazing, you know. And so these people are all around me, you know, and I and I feel so lucky. You know, it's like I'm getting like the waves are crashing on me. I'm not having to go find the surf. You know, this is, this is I'm finding out what culture is from the people around me. What, um, what, what areas of culture are most interesting to you, the human, like you, the human, if you were like to stop working and take a one year sabbatical, is it in gaming, sports, food, travel? Like what, where would you personally want to know the true cutting edge of what's truly happening? The cool, cool, cool. You know, I, I, a couple of areas that just pop into mind, but I'm interested in so many areas. Right? One is just the creator culture, you know, the, which, you know, by the way, that's incredibly broad, but the creator culture right now is so exciting to me. You know, I'm, I'm on the East Coast right now. I'm in New York, but you know, Atlanta is like is like the oh, new day. I mean, it's the coolest. hundred percent. You know, I the creator culture is really cool. I think the trans culture is super cool. I'm about to invest in a, a company called, founded by Chloe Freeman, and you know, she's creating a, a place to go for trans people. You know, who who you know, if I want products, merchandise, everything. You know, I think those 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 are just two areas. I mean, there's so many that I'm interested in, but I think those are two exciting areas. And then the overall space of space of uh, the rise of activism, 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 activism on, on things that matter and activism on things that matter to you, even if they, they're relatively minded to other people. I think this world of individuality, you know, no, we're no longer, you know, I, I, culture. Let's talk about company culture, Gary. That we, Unfortunately, we're out of time, but company culture is fascinating. I'm, I'm starting to believe that company culture is way overrated and individuality is way underrated in companies. And this is the future of a company. I think, I think, I think company company culture is predicated on empathy and giving people space, not conforming to what you, I mean. I could a hundred percent. I totally agree on that, Gary. I, I mean, totally. it's been the single biggest reason Vayner's exploding. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. It's room to breathe, not conforming to what I want. My friends make fun of me all the time. They come to Vayner at five o'clock. There's nobody there. They're like, "Hey, Mister Hustle, hardworking guy, where's all your people?" I'm like. I don't want my people to follow what I do. I want them to follow what they do. Exactly. You. I mean, uh, okay, the last, I'll, I'll, I'll get the no, last one. Sneak it in. Get it I in. really think this. The, the future of organizations is they have a purpose, they have a few values they really believe in, and they're, they're a place, they're a club people join who share that purpose and share those values. That's, there is no such thing as a, as a culture the way we've traditionally designed it. It just doesn't make sense. I love it. I'll talk to you soon, brother. Thanks. Take care, Gary. So Gary, I'm personally super fired up about our next guest. He is the president of ThreadUp, Anthony Marino. And ThreadUp, I have become so addicted. <laughs> I literally got this package this morning. My husband was like, what is this? Why do we get so many of these? And they've been around since 2009. It's a consignment, an online consignment. It is so fabulous. I'm going to get off because I want to hear you guys talk about it, but I am an addict for a very good reason. <laughs> it's awesome. Hey, thanks. Hey, Gary, I'm, how are you? I'm well, but not as well as you. I mean, how, you can't start it better than that, right? <laughs> that was bad. I loved especially how she threw the thing off the camera. That yeah. was very vaudevillian of her. I loved it. I think you need to chop that up and that needs to be a, a, a commercial for you guys, Anthony. <laughs> Royalties coming your way, coming your way fast. Actually, actually because I think, um, you know, for, for one minute, just give us the, the spiel because I do think some people are unaware of, you know, obviously it's still a young company. Just give us a, one minute on what the company is so people can check it out and I want to get into culture. Yeah, sure. So um, so ThreadUp sells secondhand clothing on the internet. So if you go to threadup.com or download the app, you can uh, find amazing brands from Gap to Gucci for up to 90% off retail. And it's amazing for your wallet. It's amazing for your closet. And it's amazing for the planet because we're, we've upcycled over 100 million items since the company was founded. 
and it's all you doing it, right? It's not like an, it's not like a where I can list something that's sitting around and like I can't take th- this and one day list it. It's not a marketplace. It's it's Perfect. you, right? Well, those are those are fantastic. So the way it works is, is we make it super, super easy for um, for you to send your clothes to us. You come to our website and you order what we call the thread up clean out bag, which is a big green polka dot hamper sized bag. And um, or you can print out just a shipping label. We we you can uh, put all your clothing, uh, women's kids, women's clothing, kids clothing, accessories in the bag. We pick it up for free. We then process it, photograph it, price it, and sell it, and send you money uh, when when all that's done. So it's super easy for the seller to get rid of things they're no longer wearing. And it turns out, America has a lot of stuff uh, in its closets that it's not that it's not wearing. I love it. And what's the split between the person that sends it in and the company? It depends. So if you send us, uh, a, you know, a ten dollar T shirt you know, um, we'll pay you a lot less for it than if you sell us a a very expensive handbag. So, but you know, we're, um, but we're, you know, but we're making the markets in those things, meaning- I get it. Look, there's lots lots of places you can go, frankly, to get rid of a beautiful Louis Vuitton handbag. So for that, we pay you a lot. But I understand. Supply and demand. Supply and demand, Gary, you invented it. So you know better than anybody. I definitely didn't invent it, but I gotta tell you, It's probably the only thing I actually know, and here I am 25 years later in my career doing quite well off a very, very, very simplistic uh, concept that I think is pure religion. Anyway, we're having too much fun. Because you're able to sit at the heights of this company, you probably have a tremendous understanding of what's happening in culture because I think the people that are shop your, your site are actually quite progressive and a little bit cooler in a lot of ways, in my opinion. It runs the gamut. I, I watch it from afar closely, but you probably have a good sense of what's brewing. And so A, how, you know, do you take advantage of that? And then more importantly, in running the company, how, how do you get information? How do you stay close to having your ear to the ground? Yeah, so uh, many of the conceptions people have about who buys secondhand clothing are just wrong. Oh, I agree. And- that's been one of the greatest learnings for me. I've been at the company for almost eight years. Uh, millionaires buy secondhand clothing and people living on a budget, a tight budget, buy secondhand clothing. People- I actually I actually think, I've always thought the edges were more, like I think what you're doing is making the middle come into the game a lot more. The edges always really played. That's exactly right. So there were always those core, hardcore thrifters who didn't talk about the fact that they could find amazing brands. They would go and they would rifle through racks. They would go to obscure online sites. They would find groups on social networks and buy things. And what we did was take all this incredible product from across America. We have millions and millions of items listed on ThreadUp today across 35,000 women's and kids brands. And we made it just as easy for you to shop those items as if you were buying new clothing. You can search it, you can filter it, you can set up an email where when a J. Crew dress comes in in size three that's red, that's in the pattern you want comes in, we'll send you a text. So we made that, that those folks who are on the, you know, the secret that was out about thrift for those people on the fringes, we made it so that everybody else can get in on it. And it's amazing. Last year alone, 33 million people in America purchased secondhand clothing for the first time. Um, so it was it was interesting. While everyone was locked at home and focused on their health, focused on their homes, focused on saving money, um, they started to look for alternative ways to shop and do things. And, and I think resale in general was a big beneficiary of that. From a... From a- trying to get a sense of where the customer's going from a marketing standpoint, from you just being an executive that wants to keep staying sharp and be good at understanding consumer. How do you think about culture? How do you think about cool? How do you think about ultimately what we're saying is consumer demand or the emerging thing that's going to trigger consumer demand? How important has this been to you as a gain, you know, as a youngster, was that something you cared about or did that grow because you were more operational? Like when we talk about this and you just filter through your cycle, you know, especially sitting eight years in this company, like it's such a big factor, brand and culture are so underrated by operational math financiers. How do you think about that? And what was your personal journey? Did you grow up kind of through that path or did you have to learn it and respect it more along the way? Yeah, so 
about everything I learned about being a student of culture, I think I learned from Richard Branson. So before I was at ThreadUp, I spent seven years working at the Virgin Group and started a bunch of businesses there and was involved in starting a bunch of businesses there. And I, I brought a lot of those learnings to, to ThreadUp. And culture is, I always think about it, it's like the three C's. Culture is, it's complicated and it can be controversial. Mm -hmm. and, I focus on the complicated part, meaning it's hard to get your head around or put your finger on any one thing at any one time when you're trying to be relevant from a cultural standpoint and, and, and meet people where they are and talk about topics and get involved in conversations that people care about. So the way we think about it on the team here is there's small culture and there's big culture. And small culture is when somebody on the ThreadUp team reads in the Burberry annual report that they're burning clothing that they can't sell. and we. We take that little that little moment, that little bit of information, and we turn it into an open letter on Instagram that goes viral. That's small culture. That's little things that are happening here and there that are under the radar or, or are subtle or don't appear to even be cultural. What's what sort of appears to be less cultural than burning luxury products in some obscure field somewhere? But when you you know put a light on it and put it in the context of your business and your values and what your customers care about. It gets it gets some legs, and then there's big culture. So we recently did a collaboration with Eric Daman, who's the designer on Gossip Girl. You know, so I, believe me, I'm old enough where I was a fan of Gossip Girl before it was a remake. I was I was there with the originals. I'm sort of old OG Gossip Girl. But Chuck, Gossip you Girl, want a fun fact? Chuck Bass yeah. is the only person in my life that I've ever asked for a selfie. <laughs> yeah. I was so deep Gossip Girl, yeah. and it's when it when I yeah. saw Chuck Bass in Madison Square Garden and lost my mind like I was a fan of Liam at One Direction. Gary, that NFT would, would probably sell for a lot of money. Yeah, uh, I'd actually have it on my phone. Go ahead, keep talking. I'll look for it. I need a couple of yeah. yeah. so, so, so those are examples of big culture, sort of bigger cultural waves that are going on. And then there's sort of the biggest culture of all, which is the increasing emphasis and focus that people have on sustainability. It was, it was 111 degrees outside my house here in California, you know, there was a sinkhole the size of a warehouse in Germany across the world just a few weeks ago. People are experiencing weather and life in ways where everyone's saying, hey, that like headless horseman of climate change that seemed to be like way off in the distance and obscure, the headless horseman's now standing in everybody's living room. So there's mega, mega cultural waves like that. And so at ThreadUp, we try to like think of our business and our customer and what our customers care about. And then from that like range of small culture to big culture, find ways to play that we can educate our customers to, to help them live smarter, better, more, more economical lives. And then like a threat up, we got to do something about it. We have to deliver the goods. And so we process hundreds of millions of items, help you shop used, help you save money, help you look yeah, amazing. Are a, lot of, are a lot of people garage sailing and thrifting and flea marketing and then flipping to you and it's like a business for them? Uh, yes. Uh, but most people, like 99.99%, are busy with their kids, with their families, with their jobs, with their lives, and their closets. Well, the closet. Yeah. With stuff. And they're like, please send me I'm, a bag. I'm, I'm excited to be part of the 0.0001%. I'll be. Yeah. <laughs> so you're still snapping. Yeah, I mean, like, no, 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 no. I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I can go garage sailing, find some epic, you know, female and kids' clothes send it off to you and make an ARP. You can. You I, can. I, and I want to. Yeah, please do. Just send us only women's I just, I, just, no, I know, I saw, I saw, I saw. I just, uh, I, while you were talking, I went on the site and I found an epic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles female t-shirt. I just tweeted it out because Boom. I had so many flippers on me. I think it's super underpriced. I can go for like 75 bucks in a different environment. It's like 12 bucks on the site. So I'm, I'm loving it. Listen, thank you so much. Talk to you soon. It's a pleasure. See you, Gary. So Gary, that our team wants you to take a break and try to find that photo real quick for them, if you don't mind. I don't mind. Okay. <laughs> Next up, we welcome our friend, Mark Schiller. He's the CEO of Haines Celestial, the organic and natural products company with dozens of leading brands sold in 75 different countries. Brands like Celestial Seasonings, Sensible Portions, Terra Albert, and Earth's Best. Mark lives by the 3H rule. Always be hungry, humble, and happy, and the rest will take care of itself. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Hey, Gary. Hey, brother. How are you? Virtual fist pump. Yeah, I, I like seeing you, my man. You well? Yeah, great. All is good. Knowing that that's the corporate name, why don't you tell some people first so they get some context on you on what brands sit under uh, Hain, and then uh, and then we'll get into this. 
Sure. So we have about 35 brands. Um, Celestial Seasonings Tea is one of our biggest sensible portion veggie straws, Terra chips, Alba sunscreens and uh, shampoos, um, uh, Maranatha almond butter, Imagine Soup, uh, Earth's Best Organic Baby Foods, a ton of brands across a lot of categories and the common thread for all of them is they're healthy and uh, they do good things for your body and your soul. So when I, let's just go literal with you because I've been bouncing around everywhere else. When I, when I say, how do you stay close to culture, being a CEO of such a large company, having, you know, family, having life, you know, is it as much of a challenge as I think it is to, to really know what's cool and relevant with consumers? Or do you have some hacks, some different ways, thoughts on that? Yeah. So um, as you know, it's, it's busy at being a CEO, but I, I'm a, I'm a naturally curious person. So um, you know, when I'm watching a movie, I'm paying attention to the people in the background, not the guy that's speaking in the foreground. I go to go to the city and I sit on a park bench and I just watch people walk by for an hour and try and guess what their occupation is. I mean, that's just the way I'm wired. Interesting. Um, and then I've got five kids who are all in their 20s who keep me very abreast of kind of what's going on with that age group. And then and then look, social media. I watch I watch Gary Vaynerchuk on TikTok and <laughs> to see what you're saying and doing and a lot and you know dozens and dozens of other people. So um, it's just kind of part of my DNA. I'm the only you know late 50 year old sitting at GovBall in New York City listening to you know rappers. I, it, it, I it's amazing how many times I I say I'm by far the oldest person here, aren't I? And the answer is that's okay because I'm studying, learning, I'm having fun. And, uh, uh, you just keep your finger on the pulse of it. How do you then inspire your marketers who are really trying to win that game with consumer? You know, is that because you're that way, do you feel that trickles into the DNA? Do you feel like your CMOs and brand managers feel a little pressure? Like I can't have Mark be cooler and know what's going on than me. Or do you create structured things as people start building their orgs and they want their org to represent that strength if they're lucky enough to have it? Is that something, how do you think about that? How do you, how do you scale it, I guess, at the end of the day? Yeah. Well, so look, first I'm always pushing people to, to um, be further ahead and be more edgy because I, somebody said it earlier today, um, brands are resilient. You, you can make yeah. mistakes and, and, you know, as long as you don't make too many of them, the consumer will come back. The other thing we do at, at Hain, which I think works really well, is we have a shark tank mentality. So our brand people get zero budget. You have to come and make a case for why we should invest in your idea. Oh, and it wow. forces them to come up with something compelling that's worth investing. It doesn't mean you always have to have a big study that shows me what the ROI is, but if it if it feels like it's going to get noticed, it's going to build the brand, it's going to make a difference, we'll bet on it. And sometimes we're wrong, sometimes we're right. I'd say we're right more often than we're wrong. But it, it creates a culture of be curious, push the envelope, um, be passionate about what it is that you believe in, and go sell it. I had, a, had one of um, our African-American employees came to me recently. We have a very small personal care brand called Queen Helene, which caters to the African-American market. And she came and made a business case on how she could turn this into a health and wellness brand and really capture that audience in a much different way than we had. And in about six seconds, I was like, do it, go, tell me what you need. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, you're, you are trying to create value for us as a company by pushing toward uh, an underserved group by us. Love it. Go yeah. for it. Bring me back your plan and let's go make it happen. Part of your career doing and which mentor or individual made you the natural thing that you were as a human because you're curious, much like me, the same way. I shot watching yeah. people figure it out. In what Because at 17, you didn't realize that was a skill, a business skill. That wasn't like how your brain tends to work at 17. What, at what place were you given courage of like, wait a minute, this is a superpower strength, something that might propel my career? Because I think... A lot of people, I want to take advantage of that question because I think a lot of people may in certain parts and I'd like to know, you know, it, where that happened for you in what company, what environment? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think um, because I've just always been naturally curious and um, I get bored easily, I'm, I just find things and move around. So for example, I've moved 23 times in my life. Um, One more so time? I, 23. You have moved... 23, 23 times. times in your life. Yes. I've lived in 10 different states in the United States and abroad. And 
So I'm just constantly trying, experimenting, doing new things. Um, I'm a big music guy. When I go travel abroad, the first thing I do is I find out where the music scene is. And even in a language I totally don't understand, I want to see who's there, what they're doing. It's just it's what makes me happy. Um, and, and when I pick a career, to your point, um, I've switched industries multiple times. And I started in food, but then I ran uh, the world's largest manufacturer of coin-operated pool tables. And then I went from that to running the world's largest franchisor of daycare centers. And then I went back to food. And so I just, I bounce around based on my values, based on what's interesting to me at the time. Um, I think my parents instilled that in me when I was young. Explore, try new things. Um, you're young, you can fail now. You know, go out and, and make your mark and figure out what makes you happy. And that's just kind of stuck with me. And I try and instill it in my kids. How do you teach that to executives that are too rigid, want to be promoted to the highest levels? Because I'm listening to you and th this just popped up. Have you found it, you know, you had the luxury of your parents creating that culture. You know, uh, do you, have you been able to get executives who are too rigid, too type A, too school, have you been able to inspire and create environments where people have changed, moved a little bit down the line? Like, do you feel that's a DNA trait and you just are? Like, what's your take on that? I think for some people, it's it's deeply embedded in their DNA. They are who they are. Yeah. Um, but I go back to, you know, my 3H rule. I, I tell people, be happy. If this doesn't make you happy, find something else that does. And if you're if you're on an assignment that doesn't stimulate you and you want to do something else, let's have a conversation about it. And the ones that that have the potential to be much more exploratory and uh, are willing to push the envelope, I'm always there to support them. But not everybody is like that, to your point. And so I try to find people when we're hiring that are like that, that uh, are really going to push the paradigm that we're in. Because otherwise, brands get stale and companies get stale and you get left behind. I think that's right. What um what back to social when we got two minutes, you watching me on TikTok, which I appreciate. Have you um do you have a favorite social platform and how much uh of the kids, I'm sure with five of them in that range, some are really into it, others aren't, everyone's got different personalities. You know, how do you feel social media represents an opportunity to discover what's actually happening and which which platforms do you gravitate to more? And, and then finally, mix in there as well. How much do your kids send you stuff or vice versa? Or who in the who of the kids is really driving that? Yeah, so um, I spend most of my time on, on YouTube and TikTok. Um, and what I love about um, both of those platforms is there are so many subcultures on there. Uh, you know, if you want, if you're interested in investing, they've got 100 people that will tell you about that. If you're interested in bodybuilding, They'll tell you about that. If you're interested in food or great restaurants to go to or places to travel, you can really find what interests you and immerse yourself deeply on those sites. Um, you know, my kids are an interesting group because, you know, it's fascinating when you have five children from the same two parents, how different they all end up being. Um, but I have my oldest son has uh, has Down syndrome. So there's my daughter is very passionate about disability, the disability community and is constantly sending me things on what's happening. Uh, we're going to this event, do you wanna come? Um, I have a son who programs missiles for the government's Patriot Missile Defense Program, who is very passionate about um, computers and technology and defense. Uh, I have a chemical engineer son who is always tinkering with things and um, talking about you know, how you can put different things together to create something new or how, how uh, some of the things that you see on social media, like dropping the, you know, the, the tab in Coke creates an explosion. Um, and then my youngest one just graduated and he's, yep. he's moving out to Denver. He's the outdoors guy. So he's passionate about hiking and yep. biking and all and fitness and all those kinds of things. So they're all really different, but they all uh, feed into me personally in different ways and keep me abreast of kind of what's going on out there. And then I bring them music and some of the things I'm passionate about. Thank you for bringing your passion today, Mark. Stay well. Talk to you soon. My pleasure. Hey, Gary, we've got one last discussion with the power duo of Avery Akinini and Kirsten Corio of the United States Tennis Association. And I think they're I think they're going to be saying goodbye to you, Gary. Bye, everybody. We have Avery here who uh, leads uh, Vayner NFT. 
Uh, and uh, I'm excited for all of you to get to know. And one of my favorite executives, I met her very early in my career and, uh, and I'm excited to be reconnected. So I'm gonna be listening carefully. It's great to see both of you ladies, all three of you power ladies. I will be jumping off by everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. I just wanna introduce um, Kirsten a bit more. Kirsten is the Managing Director of the United States Tennis Association, where she's responsible for three of the most significant lines of business associated with the USTA um, and the US Open. She does all things ticket and hospitality sales and operations, international broadcast partnerships, and is in charge of all of the digital platforms. So I'll leave it up to the two of you. Can't wait to learn more. Awesome. Thanks, Andre. Welcome, Kirsten. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and being with us today. Um, I'm a huge fan of tennis and USTA, as you know, so super honored to have you on the show. It's my pleasure to be here. Good to see you, Avery. Awesome. So you've had an amazing career um, with incredible roles at all kinds of sort of culturally defining associations and institutions. And, you know, some of the other folks on here who have been sort of representing brands, they're leaning in always like what's happening in culture. But in a lot of ways, sports associations really drive that culture. So, you know, in your from your perspective, um, how does a brand or association stay close to culture or even shape culture in, in some of your cases? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It, it was great for me to listen to some of those speakers right before me. And I've been so lucky to work for these incredible brands. You know, first the NBA, where I learned from arguably the greatest marketer in the world, David Stern. Uh, what, what an honor and a privilege there. Um, but, you know, the NBA, to, you said, to your point, it is culture. You've got, you know, over 400 players, about a quarter of them come from international countries representing 40, 40 different unique countries. And they're in that sweet spot, 18 to 34. These guys our culture, they represent culture. And, and, you know, for the US Open, and, and I'll speak for the other Grand Slams here as well, uh, what I love so much about the culture that they represent is really this, this forever gender neutral, the most gender neutral sport. Men watch women, women watch men. The US Open was the first event to offer equal pay for women 50 years ago, and that's very culturally relevant still today. Super um, relevant. Crazy that it's still relevant today, but but um, it's it's really cool to see the impact on culture these these two sports and all the, all other sports that you know I feel like I'm a fan of every sport have had on both culture and community and and brand and so of course you know brands want to be close to that they need to be close to sports they need to be close to culture they need to be close to kids kids in that spot of of 12 to to 24 12 to 18. Um, they're following these sports, they're emulating everything you see in these sports. And so they need to be close to, to be relevant and to grow. They also need to be close to purchasing power, a little bit older in order to, uh, to thrive as a business. But, you know, sports reflects culture and, and culture reflects sports. And it's just, a, it's so much fun to be doing this for a living. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting because, um, yes, there's the culture of, of sports fans, but oftentimes um, what's happening in some of these major associations and leagues is ultimately shapes what's happening in the broader conversation. You just brought it up around equal pay. I think it has happened recently around mental health. Um, and some of the sports where, that you're sort of helping to represent um, do sort of shape that conversation and not just national media, but also in global media, uh, which is awesome. Um, you're really at the forefront and leading it. So uh, U.S. Open is coming up this year. Talk about something that shapes culture. I know there's probably a lot of New Yorkers on this stream and everyone looks forward to their honey deuce at, uh, at the U.S. Yeah. Open. Um, so what can we look forward to this year? What are you all cooking up? Yeah, me too. We are thrilled to be bringing it back with fans, 100% capacity. Let's go. Uh, our marketing campaign really reflects that. The marketing campaign that's voiced by Lin-Manuel Miranda um, is the greatest return. And you know, the, you've got the return of the serve in tennis. You've also got the return of New York, the return of fans to live events. We could not be more thrilled. And a honeydeuce is just the icing on the cake. Uh, I hope to see lots and lots of you there. Um, but but you know, there's a lot cooking that's going to be unique and different. Uh, not just because we're actually going to have the event with fans, and it's going to feel, I hope, very close to to normal or the new normal. Um, but a few things that are new, a few things cooking. Electronic line calling on all courts this year. No lines, people. Uh, so that will be new for this year. If you follow tennis, you may already know that, but if not, um, you know, it, it will be a change for this year. 
Um, one thing that may be relevant for this audience, we are going to be releasing our first ever NFT collection for the 2021 US Open that we're very excited about and we couldn't do it without the help of people like Avery and her team. Uh, you know, so it's a little tease there. We're, we're going to be looking to around the mid-August timeframe, but uh, I, I can't share much more detail about it right now. Awesome. Well, thanks for, for sharing that. Wasn't sure if we were going to share that news now or later, but a lot more um, coming on that front. Uh, and it's been amazing to see some of the developments in the NFT space over the past, you know, six months to a year. Um, I know many of the folks in the stream also probably um, are familiar with Gary's project, which is VFriends, um, you know, really uh, doing something that's defining within culture by creating some an intellectual property that existed first as NFTs. I think with um, you know an association like uh, the USDA, um, you all are actually doing something very innovative um, within this space within sports, um, but could also be sort of a, a defining program for years to come, uh, which we hope it will be. Um, you know, I think that people are, are using NFTs for a number of different purposes. There's like the collectible angle, there's event access, there's provenance and art, um, ownership, um, community building. And I'm curious from your perspective as, as such a shaper of culture, um, what do you think is actually driving this adoption um, towards NFTs outside of just like the PR headlines and the buzz that people are, are talking about just in the past couple months? You know, I've been thinking about this, Avery, and, and I get asked this question a lot, especially internally from people that aren't as close to it as, as I am now. We've been drinking from this fire hose for, you know, six months in trying to ingest as much information and, and learn as much as we can and to try to be as thoughtful as we could from a brand approach perspective and representing our legacy in the right way and, and approaching our fans in the right way and trying to engage new fans in, in the right way. Uh, but the truth is, I don't know. I don't know what's driving it. And I still don't know, no matter how much I'm drinking from the fire hose. I know a little bit more than most people in my, my organization, but that's it, which is why we really, you know, we knew early on we needed to engage some people that knew more than we did. Uh, your team has been super helpful in that regard. And, and you know, I, I think there's there's a, a lot to, to learn still. There's a lot more for us to learn. We hope this year is really a test and learn opportunity for us to really understand what's resonating with people and what's sticking and, and what do people want more of? What do they really want out of this space from, from a live sports property um, that you know has iconic moments in its past, will have iconic moments in its future? And, and you know, what's the way that we tap audience and grow audience in that way together as a, an ecosystem of sports for tennis broadly, but specifically, of course, for, for the US Open. So I don't really know. But uh, there's certainly a lot that a lot of people find super interesting and compelling and, and future changing about it. And so we know we need to be a part of that and we need to learn as much as we can. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's future changing, but also in the case of the U.S. Open, like even, uh, you know, I just I moved back from Singapore recently, as you know, and uh, we actually even moved to Singapore, some like U.S. Open cups and like some memorabilia. So in some ways it's very future forward, but in some ways it's just a sort of consumer behavior that's coming to the digital sphere as well. Um, so I think it's it's interesting because in a lot of ways it's uh, just a continuation of something that people have been doing forever, like saving U.S. Open memorabilia, saving their tickets, you know, dying to do a meet and greet with their favorite players. Um, just a new way to sort of uh, bring that up. Um, awesome. So, uh, Kristen, any sort of closing words you have for the audience on on things that they can do to stay close to culture or what they should be uh, watching out for in the tennis tennis world? You know, I'd say close to culture, the, the only thing that helps keep me relevant besides, you know, consuming as much media as I can from people that I think are smarter than me is, is I always ask every, everyone younger than me, particularly those 12 to 24, how do you communicate with your friends? What do you guys think is cool? What are you, what are you watching now? What are you looking at? Where are you consuming it? And it's, it's often surprising. I mean, the latest thing that, that some of the kids, some of my daughter's friends are into right now are baby pups uh, and if you don't know what that is, they're like melt in your mouth, little baby puffs. Maybe, you know, Mark from Hain knew, knows what these are, but they're meant for infants and as a first food. And this became something that's, you know, according to them, everyone's into right now. So I don't know if that's culture defining, but, you know, it's just an example of ways that these kids are consuming media differently. They're doing everything differently and they're going to set the future for fan behavior and fan consumption. And so uh, for me, that's very helpful and just, you know, trying to stay close to what's coming. Um, and for the tennis world, look, there, there's a lot to watch in the upcoming U.S. Open series that are starting shortly, but the U.S. Open itself starts on August 30th. 
as many people may know, Novak Djokovic is going for a, a, an historic Grand Slam. If he if he were to win this year's U.S. Open, he'd be the first man to do it in over 50 years. Um, so we're wa we're watching. Everyone else should be watching. It's going to be really exciting this run, and and hopefully uh, many of you are are with us in Queens with the Honeydews. All right, amazing. Um, I just got goosebumps just hearing about that. But uh, yeah, Andrea, I know you're you're set to close us off, and and thanks, Kirsten, for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks so much to you both. That's great news. The U.S. Open August 30th. We'll be there. And I'm hoping all of you will join us on our next episode, August 19th, from 12 noon to 1 p.m. That's Eastern time. Please join us. And if you'd like, check out some of our past episodes on MFTN, marketing for the now, mftn.vaynerx.com. Keep the dialogue going. Hashtag marketing for the now. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us. As we end today's podcast, I want to give a huge shout out to the people, you know, it's so funny, people that leave reviews and written reviews of this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms just mean the world to me. You've taken an extra 13 to 95 seconds to show love and also give context to people of why this is a worthwhile podcast. So I appreciate that so much. And even more fun, because uh, I think we all love a little cosign or a shout out or a little awareness, uh, I'm going to have the team give a couple of shout outs uh, daily on uh, our favorite reviews. So take it away, which were our favorites this week? Thanks so much, Gary. Today's amazing five-star review reads, Gary, you are the man. Both of my parents are immigrants and I love the fresh perspective you bring to young and young at heart. Keep it up and I can't wait to see you own the Jets one day. God bless. Thank you so much for that kind review. And to anybody else listening out there, if you leave us a review, you might just get shouted out in the next episode.